And the thing about recessions is they tend to be self-fulfilling. If enough people believe we're going to have a recession, we'll get a recession because people, businesses will stop buying things and the people who make things will start laying people off. And that's when you start, that's the first sign that a recession is imminent. And that is when we get a lot of layoffs. We get a lot of people uh, losing their job. When consumers stop spending so much, when debt creation falls, uh, there's a host of things that we can point at and say, those are the leading edge of a recession. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome to another exciting episode, of, or second hour, of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and Jeff McClure. Together, we're here to tell you about the economy. Uh, separately, we're also here to tell you about the economy. So if you wish to hear about the economy, that's what we will talk about. If you don't wish to hear about the economy, we're still going to talk about it. Just letting you know, we're, we are not uh, uh, customizable too much in our uh, choice of topics. <laughs> um, I have a couple of other things on the radar to talk about, if you're all right with that. Sure. Um, one of the cool factors uh, that's been going on is that Texas has been buying a lot of power generation. It's been adding it to the grid. When I say Texas, it isn't actually the state of Texas that's doing this. It's corporations in the state of Texas bringing on power plants. One of the danger signs in the coming couple of years, uh, this is from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Um, we have a bunch of generators that are being taken offline this year. Uh, 98% of them are coal and natural gas. But we're talking about um, about 15.6 gigawatts of power being retired this year. Why? Because a lot of these are up in the northeast. Some of them are in Texas. One is in, uh, well, there's three in California. Um, these things coming offline, most of them were made in the 70s or the 80s. And most of them are coal-fired. Fi and this is why coal can't be saved. It's because it's too expensive to run those things compared to natural gas. Natural gas is much, 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 much cheaper. And it's also cleaner. So these plants are coming offline. And we had the, the plan to bring a bunch of other plants online. And some of them are coming online and some of them aren't. For the eastern seaboard, more power plants are going offline than coming online in 2023. So their capacity is dropping. And uh, NOAA, the, the folks that look at the weather for us, are saying they expect this year to be significantly hotter than last year because of uh, El Nino coming in and the temperature in the water and all that good stuff, which means in the summer we might see some rolling blackouts across the eastern seaboard. That's not good for business, but something to be aware of. Texas has a couple of bills that they're still working on right now that are, everything seems to be clogged up in the Texas legislature to fix the electric uh, system and and What's happening there? Well, this is another case where hubris has taken over. In Texas, the Republicans run everything. I'm not saying that's bad or good. It's just the, the fact. The Republicans run everything at the legislature. 
All of the committees are headed up by Republicans. They own the, the seats for all the major statewide positions. Um, the Speaker of the House, Republican, and the Lieutenant Governor, who's kind of like the President of the Senate. He's got some other cool rules in Texas that don't really exist anywhere else. The Lieutenant Governor is a very powerful position. The Speaker of the House and the, the Lieutenant Governor can't agree on the two major issues that they're trying to accomplish. Uh, the House yesterday passed a a version of the Senate and uh, House bill for um, property taxes. But I'm not sure if the Senate's going to agree to it. And they've been arguing back and forth over this the entire legislative session. These school choice and uh, the uh, the budget. Uh, budget is, has to do with uh, property taxes as well. So these three big things are in turmoil. Nobody's agreeing with anybody else. It's back and forth. And this is Republicans on Republicans. This happens when Democrats take over somewhere too. The Democrat minority wing starts sniping at the Democrat majority wing. And what we're seeing in D.C. in the Republicans that run the House and in Texas in the entire legislature is once you get control, you actually have to have a plan and you have to have your people in line to do it. Otherwise, it's like you have two parties instead of one. And what we're experiencing in Texas is two parties that are pretty well aligned ideologically in the Republicans, but it almost looks like the speaker and the lieutenant governor are beginning a primary for the governor race, using the legislature to do it with, which well, we're coming right up to the end of the legislative session. And we don't have agreements on these major, major issues, which in, the governor is now saying special sessions are coming. I'm using that microcosm in Texas because the same thing is happening in Illinois and in Massachusetts, different parties in, in some of these cases, which we're getting a splintering of opinions of what do Republicans believe? What's the party platform? Uh, in Illinois, we had the governor... Uh, vetoing a ban on abortion and also vetoing a ban on purchasing AR-15s uh, at 18. Uh, so taking that up to 21. So those sound like two completely different parties making that decision. And that's happening all over the country right now. Politically, it's causing chaos. For economists, it's a demographic shift that we've been talking about. The demographic shift is that nobody's really sure who's in charge on the Republican side. And the people in charge on the Democrat side are less strong leaders than they used to be. It's more like a consensus generation, which leads to chaos as well. So both political parties are trying to find out what they stand for. They certainly don't look like the same party 20 years ago. If you compare what the Democrats believe now to 20 years ago, totally different. Republicans, what they believe to 20 years ago, again, Totally different. Different everything. Free trade? Nope. That's not it. That's a Democrat thing, not a Republican thing now. It was the other way around before. So anyway, that's that's all chaos going on, and it's cool to watch. Whatever comes out of this generationally, um, as baby boomers are leaving the points of power, and Generation X and a little bit of millennials are coming in, we're seeing different forms of priorities. And that leads to a lot of confusion, which can lead to a lot of growth. It's very, growth always comes in chaos. And you have something to add here. Yeah. Different subject though. 
Okay, we can um, skip now. Okay, the interest rates. There's So far this year, there has been a tremendous amount of money that has been pulled by individual investors out of mutual funds, out of equity mutual funds, and they're generally moving to either money market funds or bonds. A lot of people are moving to bonds. Yeah. The institutional investors have been doing the same thing. The assumption that lies behind that move is that the Federal Reserve will be forced to cut interest rates and interest rates will be lower in the near future. I'm going to express my opinion that that ain't so. Yeah, they're they're saying it's not so. Their their opinion is definitely it ain't so. And the Federal Reserve does not directly control longer-term interest rates, but what we're seeing in the longer-term interest rates is a gradual move upward. It, yes, the yield curve is inverted, so short-term rates are really high and long-term rates are much lower, but the longer-term rates are gradually inching up, and I think they're going to continue to inch up. Um, they'll inch up a whole lot if we get a default. They'll do more than inch up. They'll jump up. But this is the point. We had really, 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 really low interest rates in the past decade or two because of some economic factors that aren't there anymore. Basically, we could shift stuff to China and make it cheaper. That's it in a nutshell. Therefore, things got cheaper. Therefore, interest rates were low because we had very, very low inflation. I suspect we're going to see around 2.5% inflation, maybe a bit more into the future. And we're going to see interest rates go back up to more like they were in the 1990s than like they have been in the last 10 years. I agree with if that. If that's true, and, and I, think, I think that is highly probable at this point, because I don't I can't, we're going to have higher interest rates. Everything points to that, that I can see. And if that's true, then the people who are in bonds and the ones who bought into it at the beginning of the year have noticed that they've been losing money uh, on the secondary market. And they keep hoping that maybe they'll make it back. But the bottom line to it is, with interest rates rise, bond values go down in the secondary market. And there's going to be a lot of pain out there. Now, historically, during a period of interest rate increases, like we're likely to see over the next umpteen years, equities have done quite well because interest rate increases means there's a, a high demand for loans. Now, you might think with interest rates up, who in, the world, who in the world would go out and make a big loan right now? Well, Charles Schwab, the corporation, they're not a bunch of dummies over there. And they understand the interest rate cycles probably as well as anyone. And they are making, they have floated a big bond issue in the tens of billions of dollars. Why? Because at Schwab, let's see, 2.5 billion, I'm sorry, 2.5 billion is what they're they're willing to borrow. And they floated a bond issue now. Now, why would they do that? Interest rates are certainly higher than they were last year. Uh, and they don't have any particular need for the money. According to them, they say they just want to use it for future expansion and administrative costs. Why would they float a big bond issue? There are other big bond issues being floated right now. And the reason, the only reason I can think of that they would do that is they expect intermediate to long-term, and these are these are like 20 and 30-year bonds that they're, that they're floating out there, they're, they're, they're offering on the market. They expect interest rates at the 20 and 30-year point to be higher in the future than they are today, or they wouldn't be borrowing the money today. The handwriting is on the wall, folks. We're going to have higher interest rates. Those of us who are fortunate enough to have refinanced our houses or bought uh, houses and have a mortgage, a very small single-digit number on our mortgage, are really going to be happy about that. As a matter of fact, we may be too happy about that. That's one of the reasons that the housing market is so jammed right now. People are not willing to sell their houses. Why are they not willing to sell their houses when their houses are worth a lot of money? Because they got to move someplace else. And when they move someplace else, they'll have to get a mortgage at 6 or 7%, when right now they may have one at 1% or 2%. And that's causing people not to want to sell their houses. Now, this actually happened back in the 70s, 60s and 70s. The same event happened during that period. So we've seen this happen before. And-, and uh, on One that things- note, I, I want to put in another like parallel. Things are in the chaos are be- 
beginning to get a little bit more predictable. Um, the case in point here is that we just got numbers in for retail sales in April, and they were up 3.4%. Uh, that's that's an interesting point by itself. Retail sales going up means people are going back to buying goods over services. This is part of a normal transition. This is really cool. The point I want to bring up, though, is that when the Wall Street Journal ahead of this surveyed a bunch of economists, they came to a conclusion that retail sales would be up 3.4%. That's what they went up. During the pandemic, you've been hearing economists be totally wrong about their short-term predictions, just way off because they're using tools that were never meant for being used in a pandemic when supply chain just basically stopped and then got all tangled up and unsnarled and so on. And then stimuluses are hitting and cash is sitting in different places than it normally is. Everything was weird. And the economists were like, oh, I don't know. I think this. We're getting back on the mark because we're going back to more traditional economics. The supply chain's unsnarled. Uh, we're looking around the world and we're seeing China's back open and they're doing things. We've got new bids going on. We've got manufacturing increasing in the United States. Um, this is weird, but when we're looking at why is manufacturing increasing in the United States, it's now above pre-pandemic levels. That's weird. Or what was we've been bringing more plants back. We've been building plants. All that money we've been talking about being spent is coming to fruition. People are making chips here. People are making new cars here. A bunch of stuff is happening in Mexico. So when we say retail spending and we say, yeah, we expect an uptick of that. Well, why? Well, because we look around and we see that uh, people are getting paid more. And we look around and we see we've been spending less in, on goods for a while. That means we need to catch up on goods. So this is, again, going toward a return to normal from this weirdness that we've had in the past. Um, but again, all bets are off if the debt ceiling doesn't change. <laughs> um, so it's it, that was just supposed to be a real quick interjection to say it's getting more predictable again. It's getting back to like normal econ economic activity from everything's weird and nobody knows what to look at. Um, are you still there? Your, your screen I am. Has, has locked up on me. So I, 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 you're still, you've got big eyes and your mouth is partially open from when you were talking last. Well, that's actually what happens. I just got stuck there. You just, you're still sitting in that same position. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's in the relative to the stock market, one of the things that we've been known to say in the past, because we're quoting from, we know, I don't know where it was coined, but I've been at this about 50 years in the market. And I can tell you that I've heard it many, many times over that 50 year period. Bull markets climb a wall of worry. And it sure locks, sure, despite the fact that everything that I read says, no, that we can't be in a bull market. Stocks are too expensive. The economy's all wrong. We're going to have a recession. This year looks like a bull market to me. Um, we were talking a little bit just about industrial production rising, and that's something we had in the newsletter. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, it's it is sort of interesting. Um, industrial production counts things besides just manufacturing, but not only is industrial production up, uh, which includes manufacturing. Manufacturing is rising, and I don't think anybody really anticipated that. At least nobody I read anticipated that happening at this point. Businesses are lowering their inventories. In other words, they're not ordering so much new stuff. They realized they over-ordered last year and the beginning of this year, and now they're pulling down their inventories in anticipation of a recession. The problem is nobody told the people who buy things, the consumers, that we're having a recession. So they keep going out and spending money like they 
have money and like there's really low unemployment and they just keep doing it. So normally when we see inventories coming down, we also see immediately following manufacturing coming down. Instead, manufacturing has kicked up and I suspect we're going to see inventories being refilled very shortly. In other words, again, the the classic signs that we're entering into a recession just aren't there. And there's a lot of signs that suggest aren't going to be there. Again, I have to say this, the wild card here is the debt limit. Uh, No predictions beyond what happens if we fail to raise the debt limit, uh, except that it'll be bad. Yeah. Uh, When when we're talking about industrial production, given uh, year-to-year change, mining is up 5.6%. What is that? That's a lot of fracking going on. Uh, but there's other things that are happening too. During the pandemic, we were scared about rare earth metals. Well, we found a bunch of them that we knew were already there, but we found some more in the United States and we're figuring out good ways to get it out of the ground. We had a downturn in construction. That should be no surprise to anyone. So when we're talking about industrial production, it includes a bunch of stuff, construction, mining, manufacturing. um, And when we see that going up, and then one of the things that we talked about at the beginning of the first hour uh, was capacity utilization, CAPU. Do you want to cover that part too? That was part where you started getting mangled by the cell phone. Oh, well, basically, there's a speed limit for an economy, any economy. Without, If we get above the speed limit, then we get bottlenecks and we get shortages and inflation kicks in. And that speed limit is called capacity utilization at some point. In the history of the United States, in the 20th century particularly, in the 21st century, we can get up to about 81%. That's about as fast as it's ever gone. 81% of capacity utilization, and we start to run into problems. Matter of fact, last fall, we were at 809 when inflation was kicking. We're now down to 79.7 with 79.4 last month. What that means is the United States economy is running about as hot as it can run uh, at present without creating a problem. It is doing everything but looking like it's in a recession. Uh, This is a really unusual circumstance. Uh, And at the same time, on the backside of that, there's a tremendous amount of cash on hand, not only in savings accounts, but a lot of people, a lot of institutions, a lot of people have pulled out of the market and they're parked their money in money market funds or the bank. And if the market starts to look nice and healthy, and I think it may, and starts up, that money there's plenty of money there to come back into the market to cause it to rise higher. And, and I, hate, I really hate to be so optimistic. I hate to be in the position where I'm, I'm saying, man, I just don't see any evidence of things turning downhill other than the debt ceiling issue. I, I just don't see it. And I've been watching this a really, really, really long time. And it looks to me like a classic bull market run up uh, with the first part of every bull market is full of people saying it's impossible to have a bull market this stock at this point. Stocks are too expensive. Um, interest rates are too high. The consumer is going to stop buying. You, you run down all those things, and it's always there at the beginning of a bull market. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've got all that stuff happening. And, and let me say really clearly, the definition of a recession is n- there isn't one. The, there is a bureau that makes that decision. Um, uh, and, and when they come to that decision, it has a lot to do with unemployment. It has to do with, uh, production growth or drop. Uh, but a big chunk of what they're looking at is the layoff to hires. Uh, and when they're looking at growth in the overall economy, we're not seeing the growth cut back in the economy and our layoffs are 
less than our new hires, which means that our unemployment rate's going down. Um, but I will say something else. Some parts of the economy are definitely right now, without any doubt at all, in a recession. Which ones are there? Which parts of that? Well, the entire new growth startup fever that's happened since the, uh, since the pandemic started is really on the rocks right now. A bunch of companies that were boosted up for no apparent reason, GameStop and Bed Bath and & Beyond and the other kind of Reddit-run meme, we're going to buy this to either short squeeze or because I have nostalgia about what they used to be. Those companies are not doing well. Bed Bath & Beyond is bankrupt. Um, GameStop is not doing well. Uh, when you lay out these big companies that had a boom, they're in a bust now. And those are the obvious ones. Crypto is another one. They got mangled. Uh, most of the big tech companies have had massive layoffs. If you look at the employment amount for the big tech companies, they're down a significant percentage. Those industries, that part of the economy is without any doubt at all in a recession right now. They All of the keys for a recession when looking at the, the broad economy are there right now. When we look at small businesses, they have, they're still experiencing a lot of growth, which is amazing. They've been hiring all these tech layoffs. They've been hiring them relatively quickly. That's what's keeping up with the layoffs. We're hiring people quickly. Uh, anybody that's tried to hire someone lately knows it's not an easy process. You get, it's hard to find qualified people to do what you want anymore because they all have jobs. So all of that does not look like a recession. At the same time, we have companies that have had inventories building up and they have to sell it at a lower amount. So you brought up Walmart. Walmart's done well. Target's not doing as well as Walmart. Still had good earnings. Just Walmart knocked the ball out of the park. Well, if you flip that back around to the beginning of the recession, you, uh, the beginning of the pandemic recession, you saw the same thing happen there. You saw Walmart doing well and Target not doing well. Um, you see that in almost every recession. Why is that? Why Target, Walmart? What's the thing? Well, Target is more, slightly more expensive, slightly higher quality on a lot of things. And Walmart is really about prices being low. So when you're going switching back and forth there, you say, hey, I'm going to splurge and go to Target. Or, oh, no, I can't splurge today. I need to go to Walmart. That's a normal conversation in a household. And we're seeing that in that Walmart's earnings are jumping up. When, but they're jumping up more. There's more spending overall occurring than there was before. So even though people aren't buying the most high quality and luxurious item, they're buying more of the cheaper stuff. It's just an interesting little phenomena. And they haven't really stopped buying at Target. Target's earnings are also up. They're just not up as much as Walmart. So what's happening there? It doesn't look like a recession is what's happening there. Does that mean no recession's coming? No, we have said this before again and again. If the debt ceiling doesn't go up, whatever we get, it's going to be bad. Um, uh, they may have a new definition of recession after that because this is just a lot of bad things that could happen. Please, Congress, pass the debt ceiling. Figure out the budget, but pass the debt ceiling. This is not a good idea what's going on. Please. Uh, I, I don't know how to beg more. And people that are saying, no, I'm standing on principle on this. Well, no, you, that principle does not apply pointing a gun at a child's head. 
<laughs> this this is what we're talking about here on a global and an economic scale is a bad thing. So stand on principles, cut the budget, just do it before we spend the money, not after. And we're about out of time. This is the personal wealth coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is a professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this on this station, fourteen hundred AM in Temple, since nineteen ninety six. We've been doing this a long time, and. We haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think. Right. Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally, and portfolio management. And portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally, voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at... 254-947-1111. You can reach that line tool-free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are... Uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning, and until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>